The largest window in the house is in the parlour, and it looks out over the ocean. In fact, all of the windows in the house look towards the ocean. In the parlour, in her drawing room, her bedchamber, and in John's study. All the windows in the rooms she makes regular use of, anyway. Wherever she is when she is at home, all she need do is turn her head and there it is. The vast Atlantic shifting and flashing beneath the sun. A brilliant, glittering tapestry that stretches towards the blurred haze of the horizon. A hot slice of sun falls at a slant through the glass, shining a bright diamond shape across the parlour floor. Cecilia stands carefully positioned at its edge, her toes just clear of the burning patch. Without knowing she is doing it, she shifts her feet every fifteen minutes or so, adjusting her position to account for the sun's perpetual motion through the sky. Within the shade of the house it is cool. Outside, in the full glare of the afternoon heat, it is close to unbearable. She is staring at the water. She stands with her hands clasped before her, not in prayer, though a passing observer who happened to glance in from the outside might easily mistake her stillness for that of a churchyard statue. She watches the waves. This is where she can most usually be found, at her window, watching the bay. Her house is located at the very pinnacle of the town, proud at the summit of the cliff, below which a tumbled confusion of dry red rooftops that zig and zag in crazed angular patterns lie in a chaotic heap, stretching down towards the glimmering sea. Viewed from above, it appears as though the entire town must have been caught up in a landslip, and the local people now live in the jumbled detritus of their former homes. But the buildings are simply very, very old. And they lie where they always have, built in centuries past when the town was nothing more than a humble fishing village, well sited beside a natural harbour. But now, springing up all around and above this ancient town, there are new buildings, tall and grand, buildings like her house. The air smells of freshly sawed wood and new paint. At all hours of the day you can hear the knock of hammers and the toothy rasp of jagged saws slicing into timber. The sounds of construction, the sounds of expansion. The majority of these new buildings stand at the clifftop, ornate jewels upon a crown of blooming prosperity. From her window, Cecilia can see the docks, the broad, bustling port that has brought such wealth and commerce to this once sleepy town on the westernmost coast of Europe. A conveniently located, freshly minted pin at the centre of the wheel of 18th century trade. The town is built by the gaping mouth of a river where it empties gurgling into the Atlantic. A natural curve of the rocks provides it with a degree of protection from the tide, which once made it ideal for catching fish, and now makes it an ideal destination for merchant ships to drop anchor. They arrive from every place, carrying anything you can think of. Bobbing within the bay are the towering mastheads of the innumerable vessels which sail in and out from port every day, evidence of the town's place at the vanguard of civilization. Their riggings, miles of rope tied taut and cast black against the dazzling water, fill the bottom of Cecilia's view as she gazes from her window. They look rather like spider's webs, she thinks. 
Her father once told her that a ship's ropes are made from nothing more than a hardy type of grass. Sometimes, she tries to imagine how many swaying fields it would take to weave just the lengths of rope she can see from her window. Enough to cover the whole of England, she supposes. Other vessels lurk farther out in the bay, jostling for a place in port, waiting for their turn to pull in and drop anchor and spill the treasured contents heaving within their holds. All the riches and wonders you could possibly conceive. They arrive bearing jewels and ornate stones, carved or raw, metals both precious and practical, beautiful fabrics and fragrant spices, herbs and incense that perfume the stale air inside the ship's bellies. But today, Cecilia is not looking at the ships, nor the harbour, nor the new buildings built along the seafront, nor the old buildings that cling resiliently to their cliffside. She is staring past them all, past them, and towards the open ocean. Beneath the blazing sun, its surface ripples with endlessly mixing swirls of blues, greens and greys, never seeming to settle on one tone, no matter how intently you screw your eyes. Relax your vision, and all you see is blue. The sea and the sky become one, a single mass, like a great sheet of lapis lazuli. All across its surface, ships crawl like insects, like ants scuttling on a leaf. Any of them could be the ship that she is waiting for. But even watching from her parlour window, she knows, in her veins, that none of them is. With a sigh, Cecilia turns her back upon the window and her view. The comparative darkness of the room briefly obliterates her vision until her eyes gradually adjust. When she has blinked away the blindness, she is startled to discover that she is not alone. Her maid, Rosalie, a local girl, or local woman, for Rosalie is at least the same age as her mistress, if not older, is standing patiently in the doorway. Cecilia wonders how long she has been there. She wonders how long she herself has been standing, watching the ocean, silent and unmoving. Yes? Do you need something? Cecilia asks. Rosalie fires off a rapid patter of syllables, rising and falling inflections that Cecilia cannot make sense of. It is English, but spoken too quickly and accented for her to follow. She asks Rosalie to repeat which she does, patiently. Her question is only about that night's meal. Cecilia indicates her preference, or at least she thinks she does, and then she makes to leave the room, faintly embarrassed that her maid has been watching her stare out of the window so idly. But there is more. Rosalie indicates with the crook of her finger that she wishes her mistress to follow. Cecilia allows herself to be led upstairs with the uncomfortable sense that she should not allow her staff to order her about the way that Rosalie does. She had some servants in her home when she grew up, naturally, but only to cook and clean, and never to wait upon her hand and foot the way that Rosalie is employed to do. The entire arrangement fills Cecilia with a quiet discomfort. Sometimes she thinks that Rosalie is too brash, too confrontational to be proper. Everyone told me not to hire a local girl, she remembers as she climbs the stairs. In Cecilia's bedroom, Rosalie presents the problem. A pair of Cecilia's shoes, pumps in burgundy cotton, with neat ribbons to tie round the ankles. 
or they had been. The cotton is faded and marked by blotchy patches all around the sides. The delicate silk ribbons are curled and wrinkled and fraying at the edges. They had been nice shoes once, fine footwear, not suited for walking down at the shore amidst the sand and the stones. But Cecilia had been wearing them by the black rocks some days ago, when a large wave had caught her off her guard, surging past her feet and ankles, and even touching the hem of her skirt, so that they were all soaked through entirely. She should have told Rosalie at the time, instead of kicking the shoes under her bed while they were still warm and damp. Probably there was something that could have been done to save them, before the salty teeth of the sea dried into the fabric and began to destroy it. They are ruined, she interrupts whatever Rosalie is saying. Throw them away. There is nothing else to be done. Her maid objects, but Cecilia quickly turns away and departs the room, evading further questions that she does not want to answer. How did your shoes come to be soaked in seawater? What were you doing by the shore, so close to the waves? Just throw them away, she thinks, and do not ask me to explain. When she first took Rosalie on, they had conducted the preliminary interview in English, naturally, and Cecilia is positive that Rosalie had spoken it quite well at the time. But somehow, between the interview and the hiring, all of that shared communication seems to have slipped away, and now the two women spend the majority of their interactions struggling to make themselves understood. Perhaps Rosalie simply expects her to be able to comprehend more Portuguese than she can, having lived here for so many months now. But then Cecilia reminds herself that she is the employer, and it is not proper for her to be overly concerned about such matters. In any case, Rosalie does almost everything that is required around the house, without Cecilia ever needing to understand what she is up to. There are others who help sometimes, an old man with snow-white hair and a crooked back who tends to the garden, and an old woman who helps in the kitchens. Sometimes a new girl will appear and spend the day stripping bedsheets or peeling potatoes, and then vanish. She thinks they might all be related to Rosalie in some way, uncles and aunts and cousins. Certainly she did not hire them. She allows Rosalie to keep track of it all and tell her what is required each week for wages, which is never very much. That is enough to keep the household, such as it is, running. She is still thinking about the burgundy shoes when she wanders aimlessly into the dining room. Perhaps the fabric could be saved, or the ribbons replaced. These things are not cheap. Perhaps Rosalie is already rubbing away the encrusted salt and snipping off the tattered ribbons so that she might save the pumps for herself, or as a pretty gift for some relative. Cecilia hopes that she is. John had been with her when she bought the shoes. Not long after their arrival in this place. Now she feels a pang of regret to think of them being tossed away. John had said something complimentary, perhaps something about the colour, and so she had bought them. It had been foolish to wear indoor shoes down on the rocks. But then, she had not really been intending to visit the shore when she left the house on that morning. She seldom does.